And I feel like this is uh, more necessary than the other thing because it, it speaks to a need that I see in the people. And there's been a lot of uh, preaching about this and a lot of misunderstanding uh, and a lot of mishandling of the scripture when it comes to this. And what I'm going to title this today is Wives Submit Even If It Kills You. Now, this is an ironic title because I don't... I don't believe that that's uh, what the Bible says. And I'm going to go in and show you um, what the Bible actually says. So, uh, if you will go with me, I wanted to start with the scriptures that are constantly being used and mishandled. So we're going to start with Ephesians 5 and verse 22 and through 24. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. Now, this is a scripture that is taken and used against women all of the time. Anytime that a woman stands up and has an opinion, the church is ready to throw this scripture at them. And we'll see that even when uh, women are being abused, they still throw this scripture at them. That you must submit because it is holy to submit unto your husband. And another scripture that is pulled out is in 1 Corinthians 7, and verse 4, it says, The wife hath no power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, the husband also hath no power of his own body, but his wife. Now, what's funny about this scripture is people want to only quote the first part of that. They only want to say the wife hath no power of her own body, but the husband. And then they leave off and just... Stop talking. So there's a thing that you'll notice when we get into this is that every time that they preach marriage and divorce, they take out of context what the scripture is actually saying and pull out these little verses so that they can use them to further their belief. Now, when you look at the Bible, yes, when Jesus talked to the, the Pharisees and they come and asked him, what, what about divorcing? He says, uh, you can't put your wife away. Don't put her away except for fornication or sexual immorality. And 
this picture is looking at a certain type of marriage where the other, when we look in the rest of this, is going to show us a different type of marriage. I know you're thinking right now, what am I talking about? But I'll get there, I promise. So the first type of marriage is between a believer and a believer. And even when you're both believers and you're both following God, disagreements arise, problems happen. Uh, it's not always uh, a bed of roses, for, a better, for lack of a better term. And conflict inevitably comes when two people are trying to live together. And this kind of thing, if you're both believers, you'll see that there's really nothing outside of sexual immorality that will break those two things. Uh, that will break this covenant. And I know that uh, in the past I've, I've said contract. Well, uh, let's not get into semantics. Um, for me, the, the word covenant and contract were kind of synonymous at the time. So it wasn't a specific thing. But even though a covenant is something other than a contract, if both people are not in agreement and accepting this covenant, then the covenant isn't honored and that you have uh, a breaking of the covenant. Just like we live under a new covenant today of grace, and really it's set to where nobody should go to hell. Nobody should find their way into eternal damnation. But people choose to not accept this covenant of grace. And by doing so, they choose their road and they go to hell. It's a sad reality. It's a sad fact. It's a sobering thought that God does not do the punishing. But because you don't choose him, you end up in hell. You choose that path. And I heard it uh, said really good this week that uh, if you're on a sinking ship and there's a lifeboat offered to you and you don't choose to take the lifeboat, and you go down with the ship, it's not the lifeboat's fault that you went down with the ship. It was your choice to sink. You were inevitably going to sink without the lifeboat. So when you look at this, you were inevitably going to go to hell without the lifeboat, without the blood of Jesus, without choosing him and following him as your savior. You are not being punished for being bad, you are, you know, you're getting the choice that you made, the consequences of that. 
So it's not God sending you to hell, it's you're going there. Okay, so there you see how the covenant of grace can be broken if one doesn't choose to do it. So let's go and take a look at what these scriptures, what the surrounding context really is. But first, I want to read from you this little, this little book that kind of illustrates um, a major problem that I've seen, not in just message churches, but in the church world as a whole. And I'm going to show you this book here. If you want to pause and look at that later. Um, it's, a, it's a really good book. And if you're, you know, really hurting and, and suffering from what's been going on, and maybe you just, you don't feel loved or you don't feel as close to God as you you should and, and you don't understand why, this was a really good book that helped me. And I'm not going to read a whole lot of it, but there's a couple of examples in here, really just one, I think, today, that really illustrates the issue that I have seen and I've experienced firsthand that this is a problem in the church as a whole. And it's a misunderstanding of Scripture, and it's a mishandling of spiritual law. So under this heading, like the title of today's message, Wives, Submit Even If It Kills You. Uh, it says, these are two uh, Christian counselors that have wrote this book. It says, we have counseled far too many Christian women who were being brutalized emotionally crushed, even bloodied by so-called Christian husbands. And we have listened appalled to the counsel, quote-unquote, given by pastors and other spiritual leaders to these wounded daughters of God all too often. Wives, submit to your husbands. This mishandling of Scripture is sadly widespread, and used to press abused women into staying in destructive situations, we offer one of many case histories. Now, this is a name that's in the book. Um, I don't know this person, and this is probably not even the right name because it's in the book. So, Charlotte was being battered by her husband. She would spend her days planning what to do and not to do so she would not get beat up when she got home from work. As he came in the door, she would enact all the things she planned, but inevitably, Charlotte would do something wrong, a phrase, an action, a look on her face, and the abuse would start. At first, it was verbal abuse. He would loom over her, calling her names and using hideous profanity. It would escalate to shoving, and then would hit her with his open hand, but being careful to do so in places on her body where clothes would conceal the bruises. This happened on a regular basis, 
basis over a period of six years. In addition, during most of the marriage, Charlotte's husband had been involved in numerous affairs with single and married women, including teenagers and friends of his wife. At the same time, he was active in the church. One night, the abuse was so bad, Charlotte's nine-year-old son got out of bed and ran to the front door with his mom screaming for him to go and his dad screaming for him to stop. He ran to his neighbor's house and called the police. They answered the call, arrested the husband, and the abuse was over temporarily. Charlotte went to the leaders in her church and told them about the length and degree of abuse. She told them about the incident with her son. They listened supportively for a while. With tear-filled eyes, she was finally able to say, I am afraid for my life. I don't think I can stay with my husband anymore. Their response was not what she needed to hear. If you leave your husband, you will be outside of the will of God. You must stay. They also said that her son had been disobedient and should have listened to his father, God's covering over him. There was no support, no help, and their statements added despair to despair. Her heartache was multiplied as these men she trusted subjected her to an hour-long Bible verse session proving, quote-unquote, their point. The travesty of how abused women are silenced and made to remain in abusive situations, through the use of God's word is as widespread as it is appalling. Amen to that. This is not a uh, isolated incident. I have not only seen several uh situations like this in my time at, at uh, churches, but I've also experienced situations like this. And I can tell you that the church, which is supposed to be a place of safety and a place where people can come and find refuge, the church far too often just ends up abusing people more because they look at Scripture and they dig out these sound bites, these little portions of Scripture, and want to use that as the whole picture. When in fact, when you look at the whole picture, the Bible tells you Women, if you're abused, there's a way out. And God does not want you to live in a prison. Yes, we should be careful who we marry. 
we should be very cautious of who we bind ourselves to. But there are liars in the world, and sometimes you marry somebody who was one way while you were dating, and then is somebody else after you get married. Now, this isn't just for women, because men can be abused too. Because the threshold of abuse is not hitting. Physical abuse is appalling, but if you're abusing your spouse verbally, belittling them, making them less than human, and treating them like garbage, then you are committing the same crime because emotional wounds are far deeper and far harder to heal than physical ones. Because really, the physical wound is just an outside appearance of the emotional wound that it creates. So let's look at what the scripture has to say. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And in verse 2 it says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Then we read, The wife hath no power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise the husband hath no power over his own body, but the wife. So here we see some very key indications in the scripture that coming together, you should have one and one. One wife should have one husband, one husband should have one wife. That's pretty normal today. But then when we look, the next scripture tells us, let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence. Now, benevolence is one of those old English words that uh, a lot of times people really kind of glaze over and they don't understand it. But benevolence is a dispensation to do good. It's a or disposition to do good and an act of kindness or a generous gift. To be benevolent is to be good caring, loving. So what this is commanding people to do, what he's commanding the husband to do, first of all, is to render unto your wife, treat her with due what she is owed, which, which is required, kindness and love, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, all of those things. So that if you are loving, you do not abuse her. And the same thing is applied to the wife. It says, also the wife to the husband. So that means what he just said about the husband applies to the wife. So don't be nasty. Don't be hateful. Don't say hurtful things. Love one another. 
this is what is required for there to be a marriage. So if we go into down to verse 10, we'll look and see that it says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let the wife de- let not the wife depart from her husband. But if but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So here we see an equality of terms. But also, we see this same type of marriage. And I'm going slow today because... I want to get this point across as succinctly as possible. This type of marriage that Paul is talking about is a marriage between believers. If you're both believers, this is how you act. You are both required to love one another, and you don't split up over silly arguments. Okay, so sometimes you get mad, and you might say something that's not nice, but that's not your everyday attitude. That's not how you treat one another constantly. You don't, because you have to remember at some point, you went to this person, and I'm talking to the men here, you went to this person and said, will you marry me? Because you felt that your life could not continue without her being a part of it. And so you asked her to marry you, and women, you had the choice to say yes or no. And if you said yes, it was because you felt the same way, that you could not bear a life without this man in it. And you wanted to come together in holy matrimony and live your life together. Now, if this is how you feel when you come into it, then later when things get rough, because things will get rough, life is life and things happen. If you love one another, you won't attack each other constantly but you have to be married for the right reasons. Now, I remember growing up at uh, this church, and we believed that the world was coming to an end, and I was around the age of when the world was going to come to an end. I would be about 22. And uh, 21, 22. And that meant that I had to hurry up and try to find a wife so that I could experience that part of life before the Lord came. And that was the motivation for a lot of people my age. We got to hurry up and do this. And they married people because out of the wrong motivation. They married them for a specific 
reason, and I'm not going to mention, you know, because you, you can figure that out. And that's not a reason to be married. So what happens is if you go into this in this way, even if you don't love one another the way you should, if you are both believers and you love each other as Christ loves the church, that love will grow and that will come together. And the problems will evaporate because you'll be focused on the right type of love. Now, if you've married each other for the right reasons because you love one another and you feel that God is leading you to this is the one you want to be with and this is the one you should be with and you both feel that way, you get married, you're going to have less trouble because you both entered into this with that idea in mind. And even though there will be trouble and there will be times when you don't particularly like the other person, inside of you, you know that you love them. And that even though an argument occurs, this is not reality. This is not how things are. And you can come together in love and reconcile the issue. There should be a reconciliation between two believers. One's a Christian who wants to follow God. The other one's a Christian who wants to follow God. There should be able to be a reconciliation there. Now, if we look down in down to verse 39, it says, The wife is bound by law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband is dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So, here he's pointing to something very key here. And we're going to look at this other type of marriage for just a moment. Now we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 5 now. We're going to kind of jump back and forth because I want to make this point very clear. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. This is the uh, context in which the wives submit yourselves has to be seen as husbands, verse 25, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present it to him a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So this is the responsibility of the man. You have to love your wives as Christ loves the church. In order to, for her to submit to you, as the scripture says, you have to fulfill these criteria because this is the part of your covenant. 
that must be done. You have to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You're all in. Because he gave himself for it. You sacrifice yourself for your love for your wife. And this is an interesting notion that when you look at verse 27, it says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy without blemish. Now we know that the word holy really uh, connects to the word love. But look at what it says. No wrinkle, no spot, or any such thing, and without blemish. If you beat your wife... She's going to have a blemish. If you hit her, you're going to leave a mark. There's going to be a spot. And I've heard men say silly things like, "So no spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing without blemish. Well, that means that when she does my laundry, I don't want to see no spots on my shirt. I don't want to see any wrinkles or any such thing, and there better not be a blemish on it because then she's not living up to the word. I tell you, sometimes you talk to people and they say such things that you just, you want to smack them in the face. I do anyway. I mean, I I would never actually smack somebody in the face, I don't think. But you just... How can you say that? How can you believe that? How can you take the word of God and twist it? Well, it's really kind of easy for them because, like in the this little book here says, it's a widespread thought that's throughout many churches that wives submit yourselves unto your husbands and do it, submit yourself even if it kills you. So men are able to get away with things that they shouldn't. And I want to tell you something about a preacher that will tell you that you have to stay with an abusive man or an abusive situation. First of all, he's not paying attention to Scripture. He's not really looking at it. He's looking at it through his own lens and not through what God is actually saying. The other thing is, Watch out for him because he's probably doing the same thing to his wife. The thing that stands out about that story is the man was very active in the church. He was a pillar. He might have been a deacon. He might have been a this or that. We don't know. But he was actively showing himself to be Christian. So if you go into verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. No, I'm sorry. I already read that. 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, if you love your own body, you you don't beat yourself up unless you're a Catholic. 
and you're into that self-flagellation stuff, you don't beat your own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they shall be, two shall be one flesh. And in verse 33 it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, this word reverence isn't uh, isn't uh, what we think of, like she's going to come and, you know, oh, I'm not worthy, you know, all that stuff. That's not reverence. Reverence is paying attention. Pay attention to your husband. And if you love him and he's treating you good, this is something that just happens automatically. Think about it, ladies. You find a man, he loves you completely with all of his heart. You are his world, everything. He does everything for you that you require. He, he's your best friend, everything. Are you going to treat him nasty? No. You're going to defer to him because the man is already deferring to you. So this idea that this is a special type of thing that you must do is ridiculous because really the crux of the relationship, what needs to be done is on the man's side. The wife submits herself to the husband. That's easy to do when the husband loves his wife like the like Christ loves his church. Now, this is all marriage within believers. So if we look in 2 Corinthians verse 6, we're going to see something different here. So verse 14. But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For the fel- for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what common has light with what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Bilal? Or what part hath the believe he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and will walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not unclean things, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my son and daughter, saith the Lord Almighty. Okay, so unequally yoked, unbelievers and believers. This is a different type of marriage. This isn't the type of marriage that Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees. Because remember, the Pharisees were supposed to be believers in the law anyway. They were supposed to believe what God says. They were supposed to be children of God. So, this is a warning to believers to not look for unbelieving spouses because it can create a whole lot more problems than just a a regular marriage with another believer. And you'll have enough problems there. So what he's saying is that if you're the temple that God dwells in, what are you doing with idols? What accord do you have with an idol? And I like this. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. This is, this is an interesting look here. Be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. Wow, really? Why would he say that in accordance to a marriage? Well, there's, there's a reason. We're going to look at this. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. And you see what he's talking about here is that same kind of marriage. Because, see, when people were converted, they were converted with their wives, or it was just one without his wife, or his, this wife without her husband. This happened. So when this happened, Paul had to make a decree or whatever, and tell them how to deal with this situation. But to the rest, speak I, in verse 12, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by her, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children, else were your children unclean, but they are but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us unto peace. So, 
when you take that and you look at what he says in 2 Corinthians and you put them together, you will see that if you are in a relationship with an unbeliever and they're pleased to dwell with you, you shouldn't leave them. Now, being pleased to dwell with you uh, means that they're not abusive. Okay? If you're pleased to dwell with someone, you're not abusing them. You're not belittling them. You're not emotionally tearing them down. You're pleased to live with them. So, if someone is doing that, then they are, you are able to walk away from them. We said, but he says he's a Christian, like the man in the story. He was, it's not a story, it's, it happened. The man in the, the book, he's, he was a pillar in the church. He was active in the church. So he was claiming to be a Christian, but all the time, he was acting like a devil. So what you end up with here is a clause that tells you that, hey, if you are pretending to be a believer, you can still lose your spouse because you are not treating them like you are a believer. Because if you're a believer, you're going to go through this where it says, Love your wives, even as Christ loves the church. If you're a believer, that's what you're doing. If you're not a believer, you're beating your wife. You understand? The man that treats you like garbage is not a believer. No matter how much he says he knows Jesus. If he's not bearing fruit... Because it says, by their fruits ye shall know them. If he is bearing forth the fruit of knowledge and good and evil, and he is acting that way, he is not a believer. He's not a good tree. He's not a good catch. And if he is making your life miserable, emotionally, spiritually, physically, any of those things, you have every right to leave this situation because the Bible says he's called you unto peace. You're allowed to have peace in your home. You're allowed to have peace in your relationships. Now, there is no stipulation one way or the other about this. That, oh, you can leave, but you can't remarry. No, it says you're free. You're gone because, number one, the husband that you married is pretending to believe her. He's a liar. That liars all have their own, their place in you know where. And he is not pleased to dwell with you or he wouldn't hit you. So what this is looking at is there are people that are don't believe in Jesus, but they're good people, and they're willing to let you believe in Jesus, do your thing, you know, and, and not hinder you in any way, they are, you can stay with them if they're good to you. 
But if they're not good to you, you can leave them. And the same thing goes. So if you're pretending to be a Christian, you have a husband that says he's a Christian, but the whole time you're at home, you're scared to say anything because he's going to pop off or he's going to yell at you or he might throw something at you or he's going to beat you. And we all know that if he sleeps around on you, you have every right to leave him. But people want to say that, well, if you're a, if you're a good Christian, you'll forgive him. And, 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 and that's what uh, a real Christian would do is forgive him and go, no, yes, you have to forgive, but you don't have to reconcile. It's when you are the person and something wrong has been done to, it is not up to you to reconcile. It is on the part of the one that did the wrong. When they have done wrong, it is up to them to reconcile the situation. Now, it's your choice whether you want to reconcile the situation. If they come to you and say, I'm sorry, you can forgive them and still live a free and holy life without them in it. Because trust, once broken, it sometimes is never rebuilt. And it requires a miracle. But if God comes and says to you, okay, then you can get back together. That's fine. It's up to you. But we can no longer take scriptures that don't mean that to say that, okay, well, if you're really a Christian, you're going to stay with him no matter what. I remember a story growing up about a woman back in the old days that her she would go to church and her husband hated that she went to church and he would lock her out of the house on Sunday evening. And she would have to sleep on the porch. And then on Monday morning, before breakfast time, he would unlock the door, let her in the house, and she would go cook his breakfast for him. And they all talked about how holy and wonderful this woman was because she did that. I was sitting there thinking, she's an idiot. She's crazy. Back then, it was harder for women to leave their husbands, no matter what they did to them. But I'm going to tell you something else. In Jesus' time, if it was found out, the reason they didn't just come right out and say, if, you, you're, if your husband's beating you, you're going to leave him, is because if it was found out that a man was beating his wife, they would take care of it. They would have him stoned or they would whip him or pull him out and run him out on the rail. You know, it was a thing. Jesus didn't, and Paul didn't say specifically, you can leave because if a man beats you, because in their wildest dreams, they never thought that that would end up being an issue. It's just kind of like, well, duh, if the, if the man is abusive, don't be around him. Right? And you know the difference between abuse and disagreement. You know the difference between a temper tantrum and, and, and someone who's out to get you. Someone who treats you like a dog. 
versus someone who's just angry with you for a minute. You know the difference. And you are under no obligation to prove to anybody in the church, any pastor, that this is what's going on. Let me tell you something. If a woman comes to me and says, my husband is beating me or my child or her child, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call the law. Let the law deal with it first. Say, oh, well, that, that's not scripture. Get the woman and the child safe. Get them away from that. And a lot of times, even the law can't do it. But I'm going to tell them, get out. Go to your mama's house. Go to your uncle's house. Go somewhere he's not going to find you. And then get them out of that. Start working that situation. But I will never look at a woman that's being abused and treated like a dog and her children are being abused and treated like dogs. I will never look at them and say, you have to stay in that situation. It won't happen. I came out of that kind of situation. I came out where the man told my mom, well, you know you have to take him back. He told me, well, you know you have your mom has to take him back. No, she didn't. And I'm so thankful that my mom was a strong enough person that she could listen and obey God rather than what men told her. Because if it hadn't been for her actions, I wouldn't be here today. So I have a very personal stake in these kinds of situations. The Bible does not give the man the right to abuse the woman and vice versa and expect them to stay in that relationship. Now, that being said, be extremely careful who you marry because it leaves lasting effects on your life if you marry the wrong type of person. And don't just think because he's in a church or she's in a church that you're getting a Christian. Because that's not always the case. You know why? Because out in the world, they'll tell you, if you want to find a good woman, go to church. There you'll find a good woman. She'll treat you real good. There's no repentance in them. They just want to go find a woman that's not going to leave them. One that's going to do their laundry, wash their clothes, and cook their supper, and do their dishes, and raise their kids. 
They're looking for a servant. They're not looking for a mate. So you have to be careful. I might have been too careful. That's why I'm not married today. And you can say, well, you're not married. You don't know anything about it. Hey, I'm not married, but I know how to love people. And don't think for a minute that I would ever treat someone half as bad as the church is letting men treat their wives. And when you come right down to it, you find out that the men that are telling these abused women to go back to their their husbands, to their abusive situations, is because those men have abusive homes too, that they are abusing their wives. They might not hit them, but emotional abuse, like I said, is far worse than physical abuse. And it always happens first, and it starts to escalate. So, people, if you are trapped or feel trapped in a relationship, first go and pray. Talk to God. Be sure that this is this kind of relationship or that kind of relationship. And if you see that they are really an unbeliever and they are treating you like garbage and this isn't just a fluke, you have every right to leave. Every biblical, godly right to walk out that door, be free, and never look back. I don't know how much simpler it can be when you read the whole scripture about it. When you look at the whole thing, you see that he says, if you want your wife to submit, you have to treat them like I treat you. Now, God, this is all down to the point that these men do not understand the character of God. They see God as this avenging spirit or a punisher of evil. God is not a punisher. There are consequences to your actions, yes, but God is not punishing you. Say, hell sounds like a punishment, but it's not, it's a choice. Because anybody can choose to get in that lifeboat and not go down with the ship. The character of God is that he is good, and that he is loving, he's kind. And yes, there is wrath, but that is only for the wicked. Don't be wicked. How are you wicked? You don't believe on him that sent that he sent. It really, the Bible isn't that hard. Living for Christ is not that hard. The problem is people want to make it hard. They want to add 
things to the Bible to make themselves feel holy. Their holiness is filthy rags. It's self-righteousness. Has nothing to do with the gospel. And it will never gain any reward. It will never gain any kind of special acceptance from God. Because it's not of God. God has his own righteousness. and He wants to share it with you. His righteousness is that he gives you grace and mercy and love. So with that, I'm going to leave you. and God bless you all. And don't live another moment in fear. Be free and follow God.